And boom. Episode 60. Christopher Wu. 60. Is that where we're at? We are recording so. right now. How about that? <sighs> Noah, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. Before we get into it, as always, we've got to shout out our sponsor, Crown Rash Guard, for supporting the podcast and sponsoring this episode. You can find them on their website, crownrashguard.com, or social media on Instagram and Facebook, at Crown Rash Guards. And guys, we have an exclusive promo code, 20% off a single rash guard. Just use promo code BRUISE. And BRUISE, right? Plural. And plural. Uh, I know Tristan said he ordered one. Nice. And he is. Uh, he said I should have debuted it today, but he didn't. But we're doing ghee today. So, yeah, great product. Solid, uh, durable. Holds, holds up great. If you're looking for something sleek, uh, definitely check them out. If you're looking for like a fancy design and stuff, that's, that's not the place to look. But check them out. Highly recommended. They've held up well over three, four weeks now. Been using them heavily. And uh, they're just a great, solid product. And the story behind the company is awesome. As I said before, the dude who um, wanted to address kind of his own concern with you. I mean, he's a jiu-jitsu guy, so he wanted to come for himself. And then he ended up solving it for others, too. So his name's Anmar, Crown Rasgard. You can read their story online on their website. It's a real cool story. So support small business, support jiu-jitsu guys, and support Crown Rasgard. So, Chris. Yeah, man. Um, the big story right now is non-jujitsu. Well, it is jujitsu because you can't train. But you, uh, how many days removed are you from receiving your vasectomy? I had it done. It was originally scheduled for Thursday at four thirty, mm-hmm. but I suspect, which was Chris, uh, not Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. But I suspect everybody was trying to just get the f out of the office as soon as possible. So they called me and were like, "Hey, can you come at?" Um. Was it called? Uh, Eleven instead. So yeah, I, I was. I basically had the day off. I mean, it would have been an early day at work anyway. But I had some car issues that, um, <laughs> again, but this one was due to stupidity, not so much uh, um, something going wrong. But I needed an alignment very badly because I may or may not have bumped into a concrete pillar, which. Uh, evidently bent the struts in my vehicle, which was not so cool. It's not the cheapest thing either. So I uh, dropped my vehicle off. Uh, I ended up missing work that day, which is fine. It was just, you know, it's typically a slow day anyway. And I, um, actually, I, I, ta- I taught jiu-jitsu that morning. My last class for a little bit. Pretty decent Are people turnout. aware that you are on the, on the DL right now? Uh, I made them aware. Okay. So, um, I, I reached out to Paul to see if he can cover for one week because that's how uh, how long my doctor said I definitely need to not do anything. <clears throat> Just to, the risk of bruising and complications and whatnot. I mean, like, they're literally, you know, separating pieces of you inside. So, like, I, you don't want anything to bleed and go wrong and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I went at 11 and I was out of there by... 12 at the latest. And I actually would have been out there sooner had um, Stacy and Connor not run off to go get some lunch because I didn't realize they need to actually, I need to have my ride there for whatever reason. So um, they ran over to Target to go get some toys and whatever it is and get, grab a quick bite. And 
I called them back. I'm like, hey, they won't operate on me until until uh, y'all get back here. So they got back. I had to wait for about 20, 30 minutes. And, uh, and that was that. So I went, got a little laughing gas, which I've never done before. And was talking about jujitsu and weightlifting the entire time while basically high. And then dude was <laughs> snipping at my nuts. That's um, amazing. Yeah. He, well, he's a CrossFitter, right? So. Did you talk about community <laughs> like we did in the last podcast? I didn't. I didn't. Um, I, I made sure not to offend the person who's literally removing, you know, my ability to reproduce um, at any given time. So I was like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be as uh, I, I was definitely cussing a lot more than I realized, which I mean, I guess under laughing gas, you, you don't really realize what you're doing. I mean, even though you kind of do, I mean, I was, I was pretty lucid. I mean, do you remember the procedure? Yeah, man. Like, okay, it's, so you, do, you, you, you remember it. You just, you just recognize now that you were behaving differently as a result of the life. It, it was basically drunk, Chris. It was, you know, um, I actually killed the entire canister of NOS um, because the girl who, it, it's a really awkward procedure. People, I have, I, I don't go to the doctor that often. Excuse me, my, my, <clears throat> my, uh, my allergies are acting up. Because pollen is at a uh, nine point one today, which is terrible. But anyways, the uh, I don't go to the doctor that often, or if ever. Um, so people like really nonchalant about like being around your balls and stuff. It's really really awkward. But a lot of people walking in and out, and uh, so <laughs> they. Uh, <laughs> I I totally took some laughing gas because they they're like oh you know traditionally we would offer people like a Percocet or prescribe them like a Percocet or something. Which I'm not. I'm not sure if that's a painkiller or an anti-anxiety drug or whatever the case is. But they said, you know, like that's it's sort of like an unreliable thing because we don't know how long it takes for it to kick in. Because like we'd give it to people like when they got to the office, basically, and even after like 30 minutes, they'd be getting ready for the operation, and <laughs> like the perks that wouldn't have kicked in yet. So they're sitting there like freaking out and stuff, and then it, so they're like. Yeah, laughing gas is almost like an immediate thing. Like within like one or two puffs, like you're already, you know, like you're, you're like two or three margaritas in. And um, so I, I did that and like two or three puffs in. I was like, hey, I don't feel anything yet. Like, oh, keep going. I was like, all right. And within probably about 10 or 12 puffs, I was definitely, it was definitely, I, I can see how that would make people less anxious to have their teeth and, and whatnot operated on. Um, but whatever local anesthetic they were using, was I wouldn't say it was completely um uh like uh, effective because I could definitely still feel stuff going on down there. Oh boy. I mean like it was I mean did you maybe down or no or no no like, like I'm like staring at the ceiling and stuff and like and, I, and they probably got like something covering that area so it's like if you look I down mean, it's, you just, it's like a big anyway. I mean it's not it's they have to operate on it, right so it's just a big ass like tarp with like yeah. a hole cut out where you like yeah. your balls stick through and then, then they, they do what they got to <laughs> do, you know? So like, even if I wanted to look down, I, I kind of couldn't cause I'm like laying back. But so, yeah. So the guy's like, you know, I'm trying to just not, I mean, I wasn't freaking out in the first place. So I was actually fairly calm about it, but, uh, you know, he, he was like, I was like, is this stuff like a, just an anti anti-anxiety thing or is it actually a, an anesthetic? He's like, I mean, it's supposed to be an anesthetic. I'm like, I definitely just felt you poke my balls, man. 
And he's like, yeah, you'll probably feel, you know, you probably felt a pinch. That was like the local and stuff. And I was like, yeah, that, that I felt it. So yeah, that, that, you know, I'm not going to flinch anything. I, I, I'm good. But like, I definitely felt that. I'm like, am, aren't I supposed to feel nothing? He's like, well, you know, you're bigger dude and stuff. I was like, well, am, am I really that big? Like I'm, I'm like 182 pounds right now. Like this, is that really much larger than the average person? And he's kind of like, how long did it take you to, to, for the, um, laughing gas to kick in. I was like, I don't know, like 12, 20 puffs or something. He's like, yeah, I should have worked at about like five. I was like, oh, okay. Well, Look he's like, you highly resistant. You're like a mutant. You're, either you're that, I mean, he said he's like, in. you're also just like, like just metabolically like larger than like a normal person. So I'm like, you know, it just takes a little bit longer for it to get throughout your system. And I'm like, oh, cool. You're metabolically larger. What does that mean? I think it's just, I like, I, I would, have more lean mass than like your average person. Mm. So he's like, it just takes longer to get through all your blood vessels and all that sort of stuff. Like, oh, you cool. thoroughbred you. So, um, so you're three days removed from this procedure. Yeah, How do a, you feel? I, I actually feel pretty okay. I mean, like, like I can definitely feel the stitches down there. Like it's, I mean, it, even despite being not even a, a centimeter long, like it's just, your balls are stitched, man. Like I can, I can feel the stitching, like snagging on my clothes and stuff. And like just any sort of like ex- excess of movement, I could feel it kind of pulling at it. You know I mean? Like they, they cut into your body. Right. Um, so that's a little bit uncomfortable. Like it, there's a very, um, dull and persistent, even though I've been taking just, I mean, I haven't been like overdosing on Tylenol by any means. I'm just doing the whole prescribed, like, you know, two Tylenol, 500 milligrams, whatever, every four or five hours. Um, but it's definitely a dull, like I've been kicked like a dull and persistent. I've just been kicked in the nuts feeling, which is kind of uncomfortable. But other than that, like I'm, I'm all right. Otherwise like day one was pretty uncomfortable. Like immediately after when I got home at like one, one or one thirty, or the case was, and just the rest of the night, it was pretty painful, I guess. But I mean, like it wasn't anything that, we haven't dealt with before. Were you able to sleep? Uh, no, I wasn't. I mean, like I, I tried to, um, cause you know, Stacy's kind of handling all the baby duties or the, the kid duties the rest of the night. Cause I, I was supposed to have been laying down for an, uh, a full day, 24 hours. So I kind of judged it from like actual snip time at like, let's say noon until noon the next day I was supposed to be laying flat. And, um, so like, at some point, like after dinner, like I sat up for dinner and whatnot and ate and stuff, but like gravity, you can definitely feel like blood pooling and whatnot, which makes it a little bit heavier feeling, which is not the most comfortable. So like I was in bed by seven thirty ish and, um, mind you, it was also new year's Eve, right? So I was in bed, I was reading and just fell asleep and was woken up by fireworks, which is terrible at like 11 15 11 20 or so which you know people they're just gonna fucking fire fireworks for an hour and a half straight so i was like well my balls hurt and these fireworks are going off i can't quite sleep so i just went out to the couch and like laid down and popped on some jiu-jitsu videos and just watched that while i was trying to uh kind of force myself back to sleep which that that doesn't, that never works, you know, when you're like trying to force yourself to sleep. Um, 
so I was in, I think I actually fell asleep last time I looked at my clock at like two. So I was like laying now, there in like were mild you, pain. You're actually able to lie down. In fact, they're encouraging you to lie down. It's not like you had to like recline in a chair. Cause I know people, for example, when they get shoulder surgery, you know, it's like, you can't lie down. You have to like sleep in a chair for a few weeks. Right. Of, of the, with this procedure, you were able to lie, um, as you would say, purely supine. Oh yeah. Like that was encouraged. That was what I was supposed to do. So I did. I mean, like I was, it's really interestingly surprising. That's how I sleep in the first place. But when you have to like force yourself to do that for almost 24 hours, it's, it's actually gets kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and like, fidgety. what's that? You get fidgety. Yeah. 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 Like even, like, even if I, like, kind of prop myself up, like, where I would kind of sit up how you would, like, if you're reading in your bed, right, like, leaning against the, the headboard or whatever cases, um, even, like, sitting like that, like, I think with the blood sort of, like, not, like, coming to its level throughout your body and, like, pulling towards your lower extremities and whatnot, like, that even became a little bit uncomfortable. So I was like, ugh, like, I guess I'll just force myself to lay back and, and do my thing and... and but um, so yeah, I had I did that for a day until yesterday at about one ish. I kind of started getting up and moving around a little bit more. But like, I'm not supposed to be lifting anything, which is kind of annoying. Um, like even they're like, yeah, don't lift anything over ten pounds, which is that's obnoxious, you know? Because like, there's not a lot around that's like less than ten pounds. But um. So yeah, I, today was the first day I was I've been up and just moving around, but I have to. I can definitely. I I feel the need, or or rather the. I have to be very cognizant of like what I'm doing at that very moment, even just like bending down to pick something up. Like I could feel like tugs at the stitches and stuff. So that that's, that's a little bit annoying. Okay, so here's soft sophomore question number one here. Mm-hmm. Uh what happens if you have a boner right now? Is that going to like rip everything up? No, I mean, it's not that the, the stitches are very small, man. Like it's, I think it's like, I was trying to examine like the, the open wounds to see like, if I'm like, God, do I need to put like Neosporin on my balls? Like what, what is, you know, they, they, they didn't really give me a lot of like instruction for actual like wound care. Okay. Um, like it was just a matter of like a couple pieces of gauze to basically provide padding um, from the surface of the inside surface of like my, my boxer briefs and like this, the, the wound area. So it's like two or three layers of gauze. Um, so when I went to, I was actually allowed to take a shower today. So do the stitches, are the stitches going to be removed or are these stitches that dissolve? It's the, over the dissolving kind. I've never had stitches that I can really remember other than like my, my like wisdom teeth, but there's like two stitches in each one. It's like very minimal, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it's not, but because like <laughs> that, uh, that area is very, the skin is very flexible. It's not going to provide so much tug on it because like when you get a boner, right? Like your balls don't get hard. Right. Like I, I, we're getting really weird here, but so it's no, not no like, I get it. I get yeah, it. I, I so it's not I, it's know. not actively pulling on that, right? Like yeah. it just becomes less loose, essentially. Gotcha. So okay, 
Very interesting. But yeah, it's a, it's definitely a, it's an experience. Like it, it, uh, it, the, the, the dull nut shot feeling is a little annoying, but that should be gone by tomorrow. I think. Hey so. man, we just, we just imagine you just went with that schizo white belt and they, and they, they learned the knee cut for the first time. Oh my God. And like, they just came straight in hard. <laughs> it uh. would just be terrible. Like, <laughs> It would actually honestly probably be worse than what I'm experiencing right now too. Just for this, the purpose of um, like a hell I had, I had anesthesia, right? Um, Correct. And, and now it's, it's, it's subsiding, which is nice, which amazes me how, how quickly the body can like heal itself up. But uh, I, so you said there was class today or there was not a class. It was sort of a, no, we are the the gym is is open. It's it's showtime. I thought uh, there was no class today, and it was starting again Sunday. No, it was no class New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Oh, okay. And today is January second, so there was all levels jujitsu at eleven, bag and pad at twelve. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow there will be gi jujitsu at ten a.m. And there is debate right now about whether we will be doing a new schedule this coming week or go one more full week of holiday schedule schedule before kicking it in. Thought process being, Paul still thinks since college students don't start next week, they're going to start coming back maybe next week, that it it might be dead anyway. And again, we're recording this on January 2nd. So by the time this comes out, if you're a gym member, you probably know the answer to this. Or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. I can't read the future. But the new schedule for 2021 is going to feature more classes than ever before. Ever? Correct. Really? Ever. I mean, are they, well, um, are we... Like I haven't discuss. seen the schedule. It's like inside baseball here, but like I haven't are seen all these the schedule. Where all these I haven't seen the from. schedule. I don't know what the what these classes are, but we are. Paul's goal is to um, is to offer more because it's such a good selling point for the gym. Yeah. The question is, are the regular attendance numbers going to be back next week or the following week? Because what's the point of doing this brand new schedule with all these new classes if that people aren't coming yet? So that's I think his his internal debate. So we'll find out. That's an interesting thing. We'll have to like. I wonder what his thought process is in, uh, like, like what metrics is he using to like is like a lot more classes or some people or some classes going to end up taking away from other classes. Is it going to reduce the class size for whatever classes there to that'll were they'll be so small. It'll be less attractive to train it. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. Obviously he's, he's, he's thought this out. Otherwise he wouldn't be executing it. Well, the Um, issue is, yeah. So the other thing is, there are a couple factors at play that I'm aware of, but I, there might be like classes, the new classes that I haven't heard of being offered. You know, that to me is the curious thing is, are we going to have classes that we haven't offered before? So we obviously have a large jujitsu mat space now and a dedicated Muay Thai area. 
And right now with the holiday schedule with one class every hour, both areas are not being used simultaneously. And obviously Paul's goal, one of the goals with this new schedule is to, at the hours that classes are offered, make sure that both those math spaces are being utilized simultaneously because he's paying rent for that. Otherwise he wouldn't need to be in such a large gym. So prior to Christmas break, we had Gi Jiu-Jitsu offered in two levels. We had fundamentals and uh, intermediate advanced. So we had split Gi Jiu-Jitsu into two classes. There were no all-level classes anymore. Right. It was except on maybe Sunday. And Muay Thai was still an all-levels class. Mm, My understanding okay. is Jiu-Jitsu is going to be split again into level one and then level two and above if we're operating with the level system that uh, he did prior to COVID. So that would be my, if I had to bet money, that's where I would bet we would be expanding classes is splitting the Muay Thai now into two sections. Are there other classes that we haven't offered before or a specialty type class that we haven't offered before that? I don't know. That is, I'm, I'm just like the rest of us. We'll wait and see. Hmm. So it's going to be, uh, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, for me selfishly, my big thing is, is the last week or the last few weeks, this holiday schedule hasn't been great for me personally in my jujitsu because, uh, I'm on the hook to teach most of those days because there are people that are part of the foundations curriculum that right. are going through that. So I need to teach that, but as long as intermediate advanced jujitsu is split from fundamentals, then I can teach it during the fundamental hour because that's when foundations is offered right? and train during the other. And then we'll see about no gi and where that's scheduled. And if it's scheduled opposite a gi jujitsu class or if it's scheduled against <coughs> a Muay Thai class, you know? And then lastly, there were two MMA classes prior to the break. We'll see if there are two MMA classes or more or less, you know, with this new schedule. So, I mean, it was I also think, two MMA classes that seem to be growing in popularity, popularity based solely on the instructor, right? So, yeah, but also, also the, the other factor that I haven't touched on yet is time. So, I said he wants to maximize mat space. The other issue is. There's a huge difference between attendance in six to seven, seven to eight, than the eight to nine time slot. The eight to nine time slot is a lot quieter. It's a lot slower. Oh, I bet. Than anywhere between six and, and eight. So, slower in terms of number of attendance, not necessarily uh, level of energy, though, right? Or I'm talking about attendance. I'm talking about purely attendance. Okay. Who's coming into the gym at yeah, that time? Eight, you know? eight to nine is is late, man. So if you if they want to make a top heavy schedule, where it's so he definitely wants to he definitely wants to double book. I would imagine six to seven, seven to eight, and then eight to nine. Maybe it's double book, but you have to be very strategic in how you're double booking that. Yeah, it seems like beginners are in. It, so at least from jujitsu point of view, there are more white belts that are able to come from eight to nine, then is that so? Yes. I do think that is, I think it's 
a just a correlation with age that you know if you're a colored belt you've been training for a period of time so you're older as a result <laughs> and if right, you're older yeah, yeah. you're likely to go eight to nine because you probably have a family and obligations whereas you know i'm a college dude i'm a white belt i'm just getting out of study session at seven o'clock anyway so let me swing over to the gym train from eight to nine and you know do my thing so uh, you know I, I think that anecdotally is can can account for some of what's going on at least currently with our with our student base but we're we'll be we'll see i'm, I'm interested to see the um, the new schedule like everybody else and and figure out what my training is going to be a schedule as a result, just like every other student at the gym. All right. And we'll see you this week or the week after. So hopefully it's the week after I'll, I'll be back on the mats by then. So, yeah. And I definitely am curious to see, for example, if no gi is going to be offered as a single class or is that going to be tiered as well? Like no gi fundamentals and advanced no gi. You know? Well, I have to, I mean, I'm, curious because i don't do nogi but do you have you you having done a lot of nogi lately is there a huge skill disparity yes okay so then there There should probably be the assumption is that it's taught as though you know some jujitsu right yeah Um, yeah. but right now i would say it's two-thirds white belts is it really yeah during in the evening in the middle of the day, it's almost all colored belts. So there's also a discrepancy between the midday classes sure. and the afternoon classes. The noon classes uh, typically skew advanced, more colored, more advanced. Exactly. Yeah. But will there be Muay Thai classes offered in, in the noontime hour? That I don't know. We'll see. Is it necessary? I mean, that's the thing. Is like, is it even a request? You know, like. Again, this is where, you know, Paul's gone off and into his world and sometimes he's guilty of saying, hey, guys, like if you have feedback about the schedule, let me know. And it's like, well, if we don't see the schedule, how can I give you feedback? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, like I can give you random requests, but that that was better is if you showed me something tangible and then I could say, well, that this is what I foresee forecast. This is my feedback on this attempt, you know, this attempt schedule but i think i think like anything you you put out the schedule and then you can make adjustments there's nothing stopping you from a couple weeks later being like all right guys clearly you know nobody's attending this class we're gonna move this over here you know stuff like that so we'll see um it might just turn out to be just like i said splitting up the muay thai classes into two sections level one and and level two and above or there could be some more you know Maybe we're going to bring back ranked rash guards for MMA, for all I know. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just making that. That's strictly coming from me. I didn't hear anything. I'm just, <laughs> you know, what's well, old. We might have a good supplier for that if that's the case. I, <laughs> this is true. So, yeah, it's, um, uh, there was a decent turnout today in terms of, of class, but, um, still, th- there's, uh, they're definitely not the numbers we're used to seeing, especially for a single jujitsu class. It's the holidays too. I mean, it's it's people are just really taking advantage of this long weekend, I suppose. Absolutely. So, we'll uh, we'll see. But in the meantime, just um, studying, uh, thinking about what I want to practice, and yeah, trying to trying to get rolls in wherever I can. 
So have you noticed? So you kind of touched on something earlier now that you are responsible for teaching more mm-hmm. and it's, it's clearly cutting into your training time a little bit. Does that make you hungrier to train or does it make you just want to get the F out of the gym a little bit more because you're obligated to be there? No, I want to train and I'm, and I'm envious of the reps other people are getting. Mm-hmm. But again, that's really because we're on a holiday schedule where there's only one jujitsu class. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So once, once we split the classes again, then I'll be able to get my reps. Now, if fundamentals turns into a class that is, that is as a result of having foundations, does that make the fundamentals class a class that is appealing to not just white belts, but all belt levels because it's like fundamental stuff that's important for everybody. Then I might actually be kind of like sad in a way that I don't get to get reps doing that, you know, but if it's still a class that feels more like a white belt class, then no, I won't feel like I'm missing out on anything. So it just kind of depends on what the content of the fundamentals class is that's going on simultaneously with the foundations class that I'm responsible for. That also might be a huge factor. And that is who is teaching the fundamentals class. So, yeah, I and, mean, and there's a whole, what, like the whole curriculum thing. Yeah. Did we talk about this last time? I think where we I was talking about, we need to have like a, like a beginner blue belt class. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, we, we touched upon the idea of a curriculum. No, I think I was talking to someone else about this. So to me, like we've 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 the the issue to me is we've got like we're trying to have people smoothly and gradually up the intensity. And with jujitsu, there are leaps. One leap is right away. You get thrown in and it's like, oh, my God, I'm overwhelmed with all this stuff. So that's that was what was like going into fundamentals class. You would go into fundamentals class. There were no stripe white belts. There were three stripe white belts. There were four stripe. There were colored belts, you know, and there's a huge difference between a no stripe white belt and a two stripe white belt. Yes. Let alone. And then a four stripe white belt is also very different. So by adding a foundations class, you've now drawn a circle and isolated the brand new people, put them in kind of a safe space with people, their own level. And the goal is give them the tools to to have the basics and those foundations and be able to defend themselves to some degree when they go into fundamentals class. So now there's not a, there's not such a steep learning curve right away. That I think smooths the curve. The other place where I feel like there's a gap that would be the next thing that I would add, but obviously this is less important, but definitely it's a worthwhile thing is brand new blue belts. (coughs) <clears throat> that's why think I think so? another, yes because i think when you're a brand new blue belt you're now thrust into a class where there might be an assumption that you know advanced guards when you actually don't you know so i think like brand new blue belts need to be taught de la Hiva, they need to be taught spider guard they need to be taught deep half they need to be taught some of these these x guard single leg x more advanced guards so that then Everything after that, they can grasp. You know, to me, there's like more things to fill in. 
And if you can fill them in first for a brand new blue belt, now they're prepared hmm. for the more advanced material that comes up when chaining all this stuff. I'd together. have to take a look at the blue belt or the, the white to blue curriculum. Cause I, I thought a lot of that stuff is on there. I could be wrong. I, I don't know. There's only, here, so. there's only, um, some basic <clears throat> like a basic half guard sweep. Oh, really? and that's it. Hmm. There's no deep half. There's no spider guard. There's no lasso guard. There's no X guard. There's no single leg X, although they kind of are doing single leg X when they do the ankle lock. Are they like doing? Lock, they don't know spider. You said there's no spider. Nope. Really? Nope. When now, when I was a white belt, spider guard was in the curriculum. Paul removed it. So to simplify things, which I don't disagree with. Hmm. Now that's not to say these people don't pick it up along the way. It's yeah, not like it's like, not like they're in such a bubble that they're unaware of. I mean, first of all, they can study it themselves, but you know, generally, you know, there'll always be that smaller person like, man, how do I keep people off me? And then, you know, one of the coaches will be like, well, you could put their your foot in the crook of their elbow. Yeah, and that's called spider guard. <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, this is amazing. So it's kind of like, what's the progression of teaching people stuff? And I do think brand new, like, let's just put it this way. You and I are taking our advanced gi class and then a bunch of brand new blue belts enter and they're lost. That's, that's my impression. Hmm. Hmm. I just, I feel as though that could be a result of them not being white belts long enough. Um, see, I think that could be, I think that could be like lessened if it were encouraged more for four stripe white belts to start taking the advanced class, because I found that that's what I was doing at the end of my white belt tenure is I, I, you know, because I just like to train, I wanted to get another hour on the mat. So I asked Paul like, Hey, can I, can I do uh advanced class and he said any you know i mean our rule is any if you have a i mean i was even asking when i was a three stripe white belt sometimes but he's like once you have four stripes you can do it you know like you don't have to ask per se right, right, like right. white belts allowed so i think that as long as the white belts focus is still on the fundamental curriculum getting exposed to what's coming in advanced means they don't get like bowled over with new material when, okay, uh, so it. it <sighs> hmm. I mean, do you agree with what I'm saying, or do you disagree that there's like an overwhelming amount of new material once you hit blue belt? I. I mean, my. <laughs> maybe I'm. I'm being very, like I, I. I guess, given the current state of the curriculum, I can see how that happens. Um. I I don't to me though that means it's an issue of they're not shown enough as white belts like the idea of like what is let's take a look at the word like fundamental right like because we're, we're starting to split hairs a little bit here 
like what is the general idea of foundations like the it's like 10 lessons right mm -hmm. and it's the 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 one of them is what just to kind of what go through it's like so the, there are 10 lessons that cover the we're we're, we're claiming there are five basic positions in jujitsu close guard half guard side control mount and back mount so we're emitting neon stomach we're emit we're omitting the idea of an open guard altogether because that's what yes. i'm hearing yes hmm. interesting okay this is in foundation so no, no, everything is, is with connection we're emitting neon stomach we're emitting uh open guard concepts guard retention we're emitting for, for, for open guard like basic open guard retention concepts we're emitting, you know, more, you know, diving into turtle. Right. So, but I think those five positions, close guard, half guard, side control, mount and back mount, that's definitely an 80% kind of thing. Okay. You know? Yeah. Then that's what foundations is. And the goal is they know what the position is. They ha and they learn one thing to do on it defensively and offensively. Well, from bottom and from top, because you have two people. So you're either yeah, in the yeah. position from the from the perspective of being on bottom or on top. So that's the the lesson. So for back mount, how do you attack? How do you control and how do you attack a rear naked choke? When it's the reverse, it's how do I escape back mount? How do I break alignment? and escape the position either getting you know going into mount half guard or close guard do we focus on those three things so much no we focus more on breaking alignment and turning the right weight in order to do that mm -hmm. so you know i think the fundamentals curriculum is you know intentionally reduced to also like keep their focus on things so that they're not overwhelmed with with too much, too many different techniques. However, you know, I kind of touched on this with you on the phone or not on the phone, but texting with you yesterday because I, I spent a, a significant piece of time speaking to our friend, Brian McKenzie, who, as you know, is, you know, has a, a, a slew of experience and knows a bunch of, of different techniques, but you know what he what he and I were were talking about is I was like you know what man, you know for a while I thought jujitsu is really complicated in a way it is complicated because there are all these different techniques you can learn, but in another way it's actually really really simple. Yeah, as long as you understand basic principles, then you can invent all those other techniques that people just teach on their own. Like there's too much. There's too many techniques being taught in isolation. Yes. Instead of, I don't care so much about the techniques. Here are principles. If you if you adhere to the principles, you'll be safe for the most part. You know, there might be a trick or two that that you know you just have to experience once to learn it. But if you follow these principles when it comes to posture, when it comes to placement, when it comes to um, center of gravity and alignment, you'll uh, you'll be fine. And you can invent the jujitsu. Exactly. And that's, that's, <laughs> yes. Like, jujitsu is, I mean, it, I, 
and we've, we've talked about it so many times at this point, but isn't it like people learn the rules of music, right? And then you compose the music, then you compose a song later on, right? Like it, it's that, like, you know, if, if all you're doing is just teaching the same song, a bunch, you know, like then, then jujitsu doesn't grow and, and it doesn't evolve. And it, um, to try to teach something the using the idea of like technique for technique, like at that point it's truly, I mean, it's, it's an endless journey regardless. Right. But it's an inefficient way of doing it because you're always looking for, because it, the, 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 it's hard to say, but like if you teach technique for technique and then you throw in one variable, then the idea of like addressing that variable now in the realm of the technique you're originally showing, like that just becomes this infinitely growing branch of things, right? Like, and it's just, it's, it's an inefficient way of teaching and learning for that matter versus like you said, like learning proper posture, learning proper alignment, learning how to use that uh, posture and alignment to create pressure, right? Like and connection, like that's, people will figure it out on them on, on their own. Um, I've learned a lot from teaching a lot more recently is that people, I, I tend to be an overcorrector and I worry too much about minutia and just like minor, minor, minor details. Um, when I shouldn't, I should worry more about the things like alignment and more about the underlying principle. And, and as much as I preach about um, the the minutia, I, I actually wasn't, or excuse, as much as I, I preach about not worrying about minutia, I actually was teaching it, right? So I've just worried a lot about a lot less about it and let people kind of like find their way of just uh, showing the technique, showing the, the key concepts behind it and go and, and letting water flow where it will. And it's, it seemed to be produce a lot less frustration on my part because they're not doing it exactly step for step for step. Like I, I taught them. And it's um, it puts less pressure on the student to to do it step for step for step, and you know, and if they forget, you know, step eight, and they go straight from seven to nine. They're not like themselves, like, oh my god, I forgot a step, right? So it just produces a, a uh, but they're still getting it, right? The, the result is the same. So it, I think, me worrying about less about that bullshit and more about just like, are they getting the technique at the very end, despite a couple of hiccups or whatever the case is, or maybe it's not a hiccup, maybe they just their body and their attributes allow them to skip this step for the cases, then so be it. Right. As long as they're not doing something actively wrong. Um, I think that I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think the trap that we all fall into is jujitsu is cool. We think it's cool at least. And when we, when something cool works for us, we're like, I need to show them this. When that was only cool to us because we learned, we spent hours and hours doing this technique, doing other stuff, and then we had a little breakthrough. But the breakthrough only is a breakthrough because we had put in the hours before and kind of, let's say, mastered the technique up until this point. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like this um, this whole like monopolata setup that I've been talking about for the past few weeks where you get, you know, you where you're in a mounted position, but you've you, your opponent's on their side and you've trapped their underhook in the crook of your hip. 
because you've put one so you've got one foot up on the ground and one knee on the ground and they're on their side and you've got this arm trapped in your hip pocket and i saw josh hinger in a in at masters finished multiple people and he did a grip with his hand that i'd never seen before and i was like son of a bitch and i tried it and i was like that's amazing but as much as I, and what do I want to do? I want to go and blurt this out to everyone I see because I think it's super cool. Yeah. But in reality, I'm I'm not doing anyone any service unless they've actually been doing the exact same thing I've been doing and practicing this move. Otherwise, I should be, if I want to blurt anything out to them, it should be the virtues of inside position, whether it's hands or legs or anything, you know? Right, it's right, like, yeah. Don't let anyone get inside you. What does that mean? Well, that means... Your frame should be on the inside. Your feet should be on the inside. All this stuff. That's going to help the majority of the jujitsu population. That's going to help the majority of the population get better. That detail that I'm freaking out about is literally probably only really applicable to someone in a very similar situation as me who's been doing this move for a little, been experimenting with, been seeing where it works, where it fails. And then you're like, holy shit, that's amazing. That works. But all that other stuff is probably lost. It's like you're it's 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 let's go to the classic analogy it's like fiddling with the antenna on top of the big tower instead of helping the foundational pieces at the bottom right make or or just making sure that the signal is even coming through yeah (laughs) right like so that's where so where do we start drawing the line to delineate where something like um where, where do we draw the line to, to, to really put a hard line between what's considered teaching a, a system, right? Like the, the whatever the monoplata system you were t- you talked about mm-hmm. recently versus um, teaching a principle, right? Because you teach principles like the, 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 the delivery systems are just that. They're a delivery system to showcase whatever principles they are, right? So we have to use specific examples to demonstrate. But at what point can you start distilling, 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 where you're still illustrating that principle, the the, the essence, the platonic uh, perfect uh, uh, illustration of it, right? How do you, where do you draw that line yeah so i i I think i think drawing the line is a question of of maturing our coaching as a community you know if you go to a wrestling practice they do teach moves too but the emphasis is on on principles are they i've not been to a i i can't speak for it so I'm not a wrestler. I've, I've okay. Been- well, okay. Let, let, let me let me let me take it. Let me take a step back. Let me take let me take a step. I'm making that leap, um, based on one class <laughs> that I had with Bubba. Okay. So that, so everyone can roll their eyes and be like, okay, well, you know, you had a class. But this is speaking with other people. I'm just thinking about other sports. I'm thinking about baseball, tennis, sports that I've you know. Again, I I I will stand by my claim that jujitsu is a very is a very young sport it hasn't matured much yes. and i think we are feeling the the effects 
of jujitsu first being taught in this country in garages to Americans in Southern California by Brazilians via private lessons where how do you sell private lessons? You show someone a trick, they think it's cool, then they want to learn another trick. And I, I say that lovingly because they're not tricks. They're, it's cool jujitsu moves, but they're showing you a cool move because you're like, I just learned this cool move. I learned the umaplata. I learned the arm bar. I learned how to get out of mount. Where instead of teaching them, this is principal posture when it comes to being on bottom. You should never be giving up underhooks. You should have your arms tight, you know, and, and maybe that's not entirely right. But what I'm saying is, just stances like I was I was I was talking to Brian about this yesterday I was like all this stuff about inside position and posture and stuff it's like oh my god this is the same thing that guess what wrestlers do when they're trying to like in just their normal stance they're, they're yeah <laughs> they're they, doing all that's why things. they keep their elbows tight right like exactly exactly they don't want people to get inside them you know so I think you need to teach techniques but i think the emphasis of the class should be on principle and the technique is an example of the principle instead of here's a technique and then as you get more experience in jujitsu you're going to see the commonalities and start to understand the principles later okay so let's look at a move that we all know the kimura right Okay. So how do how do you think we should address the kimura? So we say, and so saying today, guys, we're learning the kimura. Today we should be looking at it and said, and and, and say, hey guys, the how, how does a shoulder work, right? Like it, you know, it's a ball and socket joint, blah blah blah. You know, we we it, it, our our arms function better in front of us than behind us. So what do we have to do to be able to, how do we deconstruct getting a person's arm behind them in this fashion? So now this is, now this is just me. This is my opinion. So I, I, you know, I haven't given any thought to this extensively, but my opinion is teaching the Kimura is teaching, is teaching the Kimura lock from a control perspective and where you can get it is an afterthought that you learn in other classes. Okay. All right. So you, so, like, so this is like a pre thing, right? Like you're teaching from the end backwards. I mean, I don't even really? care about finishing it so much. I mean, the finish just comes as a result of, Oh, I'm in this position. I can finish it. But it's like, this is how your grip should be. This is how their arm should be orientated. This is where their arm should be in respect to your body, that sort of thing. Because, there are there are differences when you're like obviously the Kimura trap. It's in a slightly different position than if you're attacking a Kimura submission from like a close, close guard. guard. Yeah, of course. But at the end of the day, it's I think it's again looking at it right now, like put on the spot. To me, it's more important. What's the grip? How do you hold their wrist? Where do you? How much of the wrist do you hold? How do you hold my own wrist? And what's the structure we're trying to form with their arm with respect to my two arms? And how do we maximize the leverage of this two-on-one grip? And then you can show them like, hey, you can finish. If you get this position here, let's say side control, 
you can just finish the Kimura this way, you know, right. in terms of, you know, finishing, like if you want to finish, it's all about moving this wrist in this direction, you know, moving the arm and wrist in this direction with respect to their body and your body. That, But to me, it's just that. And that to me isn't an auxiliary thing. It's an important control thing, especially for attacking. But to me, a, a more important thing would be just like inside position. What does it mean? In, you know, inside position. Why is it so important? And it's going to come up everywhere. And when it comes to guard passing, it's like they're trying to enter this space between your knee and your elbows. So yeah, if yeah, I can exactly. keep my knees and elbows connected. You know, Paul showed me a drill that he saw a black belt do with beginners. I was like, I'll be damned. This is amazing. Like we should do this all the time. And he was like, this guy would make, and I forget the black belt's name, um, unfortunately. So I apologize. But Paul describes that you, he would put the new student on their back. He would have them raise their knees to their chest and connect their knees and elbows. Yeah. And then they'd have someone else just lay on top of them and just move around. And he, and he would tell the person about him, keep your knees and elbows connected. And they would see how they could support the person's weight and that these guys couldn't, they would try and get in and they couldn't, you know, and then principle of it. Right. And then he would put them just on their elbows. And the first thing these people do now out of habit is bring both their knees in to help. And now their knees get involved and they've connected their knees and elbows. Hmm. Interesting. That to me, is where we need to be going and not this is an elbow escape. So interestingly, I used to do a kids game when I taught kids class. And uh, it involved the little like 10 pound medicine balls that look like little basketballs. Right. Or I would only allow the child protecting the ball to only hold it with their knees and elbows. And I would uh, tell the kid on top to start in basically referee's position and try to uh, isolate a limb to help get that ball away. So is it to say that that's, um, should we be teaching based on little games like that? So but all that does is that illustrates the principle, right? It doesn't. So where do you, start differentiating to to because to me that's almost a foundational thing right not necessarily a fundamental thing Mm -hmm. where do we start breaking away once they've established these foundations um these these super fundamental movements not even moves and start adding actual jujitsu to it like because i'm i'm actually i i having been on my back for the past two days, I was watching a lot of uh, YouTube videos of Globetrotter stuff too. And there was one of, um, I believe it was Chris Howder's wife called, she did one called the impassable guard. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. I did. I think I gave up on it midway through it. I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of her teaching style. I wasn't either, but she did show some very, very good drills. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't find her to be all that funny as as funny as she thought she was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you're like indicating to the audience when you're supposed to laugh, that, that that means you're probably not very funny. But anyways, so she she was doing a drill where basically, I mean, you probably saw it where you're basically sitting with your hips, you know, with your knees pulled to your chest, and you're maintaining that throughout a range of uh, different passing pressures. You know, there was no. Uh, 
and I thought that was like, man, like we, this is something I probably actually did as a white belt and somebody had me do and that we're not, I, mean, I don't see enough of now, but it definitely of all things taught me how to keep my knees to my chest. Right. Um, do you think because of the explosion of jujitsu, um, techniques and, and, and whatnot, just that there's so many different systems out there now. And there's like, like information overload that we've gotten away from teaching simple things like that to illustrate a, a simple principle that will stick with somebody a lot longer than the, you know, 10 sequence system that, that, well, you know, I don't even know if we were doing it in the first place. Cause my inkling is historically we were teaching an individual technique or a collection of, you know, techniques that to me is like the classic jujitsu class. Yeah. You learn five different techniques or three different techniques. That are all unrelated. <laughs> yeah, they're unrelated, right? You do a warm-up. Here's a technique. Here's another technique. Here's a technique. All right, roll. And that, again, I, I'm not I, – I think some of that is at least in part due to the, the fact that the people being taught our first black belts in the United States were being taught via privates. Yes. Where this is how they were – this is how knowledge was disseminated. And – I think that's influenced how it's being taught because they just regurgitate the lessons that they were taught, but they're not, they're not teaching as, as much as I'd like to say, they're not teaching like you would teach a kid's class, like a junior program, you know, where you're like, you, you, almost because of where we think a child's cognitive level is versus an adult. We feel like we can't go into all the details that we would with an adult when it comes to jujitsu. So we resort to teaching them simpler concepts, when in fact the simpler concept it's is getting through with everybody. Yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think uh, I, I think there is again we've talked about it. There's a pull between what is the absolute best way to develop a new student as quickly as possible, and how do you keep a new student engaged, you know, the most. And those two things are not entirely aligned yeah that's i a, do think yeah. as someone gets better they will get more engaged but if you had them just drill very important movements until they did them very well that might not be fun for them because it's just too mechanical it's it's like work it's like drudgery when you could just throw someone out there and they roll around the mat they don't know their clues about what they're doing but you know Hormones suddenly got released in their brains that they've never had before. They got an amazing workout. There was some adrenaline. And they're like, that was amazing. Even though productive-wise, outside of just getting their body conditioned, it probably didn't do much to, to develop their technique and make them a better jujitsu person, you know, or make improve their technique at least, you know? Yeah. So this kind of it begs the question. I I, I kind of because of the combined classes um lately, whether I was helping teach or just trying to get some extra reps in and that sort of thing. Um, I've been able to see a lot more white belts in action, which I think I, I lose sight of a lot, right? Because I just generally just being exposed to higher belts and that sort of thing and, and teaching. That sounds like a great Instagram. What's that? Uh, a great Instagram account, white belts in action, white belts in action. I, man, that'd be like the influencers in the wild. We'll have to just, <laughs> I'll have to constantly have my phone on me 
<laughs> videotaping white belts doing dumb shit. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure we could get submissions. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'd be a real good one. But then like a lot of them end up getting staged at the other end, which is kind of where I see in- influencers in the wild going right now. They took the fun out of it, but, um, I've noticed, so we've been doing the, the quote, non-technical warmups, right? Before classes where it's like, you know, five minutes of running around and I can't stress it enough at this point, especially seeing it actually in action is mindless movement without context. Like shrimping, for example. Do we do we need to go back to what you and I had talked about a long, long time ago and kind of constantly harp on at this point? Is learning jujitsu beyond excuse me, the the the, the introduction to jujitsu beyond even the foundations class? And should it is there a foundations to foundations? Is there a prerequisite where they just need to learn the basic movements in the first place? Right? Like not there's a wrong way to shrimp or whatever the case is, but there's, there's definitely a wrong way to shrimp, right? I I see it all the time. And if people don't even know why you're shrimping, like what is the purpose of it? And I don't know if this is something you necessarily cover in foundations. I think if there was, for example, just a body in front of somebody when they're shrimping, like just the simple motion of, you know, the, the, uh, you, you do like a, like a fake pass and you walk up their hip and it, it forces them to, you know, post their hands on the, their shin and shrimp that way. Like, I think that puts a lot of context into the idea of moving yourself away, which is what the idea of a shrimp Except, is. Right? Okay. So I'm, I'm going to be, I want to be the, the jujitsu nerd with you right now. Most modern guard players don't advocate shrimping for retention. They advocate bringing the outside leg over to the far shoulder. Right. Because when you, when they start controlling that bottom leg, right, it makes it hard. I I get that. But that's, is that not a matter of, hmm, interesting. I mean, where I find shrimping happens is if you're taking someone's back, you shrimp. So it's like, if I'm in closed guard and I, and I, I break their center line, and I, I pull their arm to one side and I start, I grab their far lat. So just the classic back take from close guard, mm-hmm. you know, I have two options. I can try to climb them when they're on their yeah. side, or I can just shrimp back, create space for them to kind of fall into so I can put my top hook in. Right. The, the question is, how do I get my top hook in? Right. I can either go up top and risk starting a roll, which I mean, I'll probably come up because I, I just like doing that, but you can end up creating a roll because now they'll roll no, with yeah, you yeah, and now, yeah. you know, or what Paul likes to do is secure the, their upper body and then you have your bottom hook and then you shrimp out and then you, now there's a, they literally, their butt kind of falls in and you just, and you put your top hook in. Right. So I was thinking does it serve any purpose to do any of these movements? Like I, I, I see the purpose and usefulness of jogging around the mat, shuffling inside, shuffling outside, high knees, 
you know, doing that just to get blood moving. Sure. Like I see, I see marathon. I mean, we could do, we could do jumping jacks or, or burpees for all I care. You know what I mean? But just something to start to warm the body up. Ideally, we probably stretch a little bit after we do that. So we're really, so the likelihood of injury is less, you know, but you warm up, then you do a little stretching, but more, you know, uh, mobility stuff, just loosening hips, whatever. Why don't we then, because I'm just, this is just me, what would you say to, you know, we walk into class and you watch me give a class and I, I have people jog around for whatever, a couple minutes just to get loose. And I was like, pair up and person on top is trying to get between your leg, between your legs and your elbows. They're trying to pass your guard. Person on bottom don't let that happen. You can't play guard and they can't really do any pass. Like this is strictly not like no instruction as, as non-technical as you can be. Like, I don't want you to like grab grips and long step. I don't want you to enter in the guard and try to knee slice. I want you to just try and go around them and burrow your way in and they have to kind of follow. So it's a lot of circling and it's a lot of, mm, a lot of Toriando-ish yeah. kind of stuff. But that's it. But it's not Toriandoing because you can't you're saying you they can't. But the the person on top, or excuse me, the person on bottom, if they're not I mean like what are the what are the parameters that they're allowed to do? I'm I'm missing something. All they have to do is keep their knees to their their elbows the whole time and just kind of and just kind of circle with them. Okay, so you're you're basically right. you're doing that the Howder's wife drill then, like okay, that's you can, Howder's wife. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you're you're like bottom person, and that that definitely it it, it illustrates to the to the bottom person the importance of keeping your elbows to your knees, right? Like keeping your body a V. Um, even if it involves like that, there's a split second where it can break, right? Like if you're actively trying to pull your your Knees to me, if you if 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 you connect your knee and elbow, there is still a way they can get in. They have to circle and burrow in to do it. Right. Now, if you stay where you are, they will circle, burrow, and and pass your guard and open you up, and they won. You know. But then, if you move, you can continue to defend yourself. But by moving, you have to put your foot on the ground. Generally, you have to do something to weaken the structure to increase mobility. Right. And in that transition, there's an even bigger opportunity if that person times things well to actually get in. So I don't know, maybe it would, people would just hurt themselves or not, but, and maybe there needs to be better rules because I feel like jujitsu people would immediately want to do jujitsu passes. But, but I this mean, goes back to our lengthy discussion a long time ago of the idea of, is it better just, I mean, at that point, like, you know, uh, the, the people learn better if they, they have to struggle for it and, you know, learn. But if I just showed you a better way to pass off the bat and I, or I showed you a better way to retain guard off the bat, right? Like at risk of teaching a specific technique, Sometimes it's necessary just as long as you show the principle or, 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 or you say, okay, you, you, you do that drill that you just described the game, if you want to call it that 
for five minutes, you know, or 10 minutes, whatever the case is. And then people are either frustrated or they start figuring it out over the cases and then they say, all right, so who encountered this situation? Who encountered this situation? Who was, you know, and at that point, that's where you start showing the quote, ju- the jujitsu technique behind it, right? A, a better way, more efficient way of doing things. Because I would like to think that given an infinite amount of time, people playing these games, they would eventually come to the conclusion of those jujitsu techniques. Right. Because that's how the jujitsu techniques came into place in the first place is by way of countless hours of experimentation, right? Getting your guard passed and, and whatnot and trying it again. Now, if we have the opportunity to go ahead and pass that technique directly on and say, this is, this is a best practice, right? As of right now, because, you know, it's a, it's a scientific method. As of right now, this is what works and why. Then, then what's wrong with doing that as well? Save a hell of a lot of time. Just, but you you run the risk of the student not worrying about the underlying stuff, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm just thinking like, how can we? How can we best give parameters to students? where they can they're led in the direction of doing jujitsu even though they don't know they're doing jujitsu you know like if you tell someone you need to get between their elbows and their legs to win i'm not telling them you have to pass their guard i'm telling them but they are (laughs) you know what i mean whereas if i told them do a over under pass or do a pass now they're going to try to pass the guard but they didn't really know what the objective was the objective was to get between the elbows and the and the legs. Then that's just a failure to properly define the tasks, right? Yeah, but to go back to what you said, it's like if you give them the objective first in non-jujitsu terms, have them attempt it, and then give them a jujitsu explanation, and then you can even say, oh, by the way, Everything you do, when we say guard pass, that's what you're doing. Right. You know, it's just ways to get, even though we might not start, we might not just run around and insert ourselves. These are ways to get by the legs and, you know, between the legs. And again, inside position, which which to me, like inside position explains underhooks. It explains butterfly hooks. It explains uh, a lot of grips. You know, it explains hand fighting in the in the in in uh, back mount. It explains, you know, defending. It, it it explains getting out of side control. It explains getting out of, you know, mount to a degree. It's just, it's hard for me to find counter examples. And inside position also explains. To me, goes with Pritt's idea of never giving up underhooks. If yeah, I oh keep yeah. my hands inside, I'm also pinching my elbow, so I'm not giving up underhooks. Underhooks would be inside position for them. But isn't I mean? So yes, agreed. But Have, then, how oh, the hell do you point. begin teaching a technique then? If your if if your goal is to if you're always working to the the extremely top, you know, ten thousand foot view of inside position, like how do you even? Because if you look at a wrestling coach 
or a tennis coach or a baseball coach, what they shout again and again and again when people are working on specific techniques is the inside position. They're not saying, I want to see, a, I want to see that, that uh, you know, get a good grip on the collar, get a good grip on the collar. They're all shouting inside position, inside position. Don't forget, you need to get their, what they're harping on, even though they're teaching a specific technique, is the principle. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, because they are older sports, more mature sports, coaches have learned you're always harping on the principle because if they can remember anything, it's that because that's what's going to, that's the least amount of information they need to, d- to survive, defend themselves, and perform. Okay. That, and that's, that's fair. The, okay. Uh, so let's put that in the context of, for example, let's see, you had grappled. What was the, the situation you were in, for example? Um, I'm sorry, the, the second match. Uh, no, at no, Masters no. World? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of any sort of context that you would have, where you might have been coached one thing. But then again, Paul wasn't really shouting anything at you, right? Like, oh, well, okay. I don't think, I don't think, you know, in the, in, when you're coaching a, an athlete when they're competing, that might be a different scenario, per se, um, than people doing reps on the mat you know, where they just get, where it gets grained into them. But I would say what wasn't in my mind that led to this was I had, I was, I had sloppy posture when I was doing a double underpass. Okay. So what could he have said that would have helped you? I'm, 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 I'm just literally using, using example because it's, it's immediate, right? Or, okay. Let's think of, you know, uh, what's his name? Cyborg screaming at his blue belt, like, the, the 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 he was in the in a guy's guard. The guy was working a cross collar. You said cyborg was just screaming. I mean, fight that right or something. To me, both both things, both my case and this guy's case, were posture. Like that guy, if that guy, if the blue belt we're talking about was sitting back and not leaning so much forward, it would have been a lot harder for his opponent to reach into the back of his neck yes. and start attacking a cross choke. You know, Maggie, Cyborg's wife, was correctly saying, anytime he grabs that, you need to pummel your head under to the other side to take away the cross, so then he has to re-grip. But the larger issue is he's getting to your neck because you're, possible. Because you're leaning forward a little bit. You know what I mean? But is so, but at that moment is it it's not the correct time to scream a top level thing, right? Like Maggie was that, doing that. I'm that that's that's not what I was referring to. So that's debatable, you know. Um, it probably could help, but only if that person knows when you say posture, they know what you're talking about. The key about coaching in see the difference to me is one is kind of like, like almost like conditioning or brainwashing and that's the coaching part the other is communicating an athlete in a competitive situation not the training mat instructions that they can clearly understand and act upon yes so if they under if you can say posture posture and they know exactly what you're talking about then that's great we're all on the same we're on the same page i would argue that's probably ambiguous that's extremely ambiguous. yeah whereas if you're on just on the training mat and everyone is working um, 
you know, let's just say close guard, you know, passing the close guard, you know, and all I'm shouting is like, you know, good posture, good posture. I, and maybe this is old school, like coaching that's been shown to not work. I think what you're really doing is you're slowly brainwashing the, the, the students to know, like, I need to have good posture. And we, we keep practicing that. This is, this is the important thing posture spinal alignment yeah my center of gravity over my hips i'm not leaning too far forward you know and maybe the guy's saying posture posture good center of gravity you're not leaning too far forward and and it's not specific instruction everyone could be doing it perfectly already you know what i mean and really it's about grips and stuff but that's the individual attention hey man you need to adjust your grip here and here but just the overall thing of pounding it into these guys skulls is that you know I never had it pounded into my skull that I needed to keep my elbows, that I should never give up underhooks. Whereas that's what, if you go with Paul, he's never giving up underhooks. If you roll with anybody good, they're not giving you underhooks. Right. You know, but I wasn't told that. It's like an epiphany you have later. Whereas I'm making the argument that it might be a better class if we had that. And let's just go total cliche. The drill sergeant coach head coach walk waltzing around bellowing that repeatedly while also actually making specific corrections for people but it's just sort of the the almost like a mnemonic yeah even though it's, it's like a mantra mnemonic. right like a mantra yeah you know so that when in doubt that thing is in their head yeah you know and 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 i'll use an example that i heard like i had a student from foundations class tell me I hear you in my head every time I roll. Thank you so much for what you, you know, you know, I really appreciate what you taught me in foundation because whenever I roll now in in fundamentals class, you know, you're in my head sometimes with things and I'm always trying to get the, the bicep. And that was a big thing I harped on. And I harped on, I was like, guys, if they're passing your guard, if you can get to their bicep before they get around your head, if you can get to their bicep before they cross face you, you're in good shape, you know, keep on the bicep. And that got through to him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I think if you, you know, if you listen to wrestling coaches, they all have expressions, you know, um, when it comes to like takedowns, Bubba use, you know, uh, three feet in a line in terms of your opponent's one foot and your two feet when attacking a single leg. So it's like my two feet and then his one foot that I'm attacking. Hmm. Um, Victor always said that his wrestling coach always had these little expressions, you know, um, one was, you know, well, I can't, re- I, I won't repeat it on air because it was, is actually kind of offensive, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there were expressions. If you've heard Mike Tyson speak, Mike Tyson uses expressions of, with him to talks about boxing. Have you ever heard like him talk about boxing and, and he just, will say an expression that clearly he didn't come up with on the spot, but it's something that was told to him probably many times and it's stuck with him and it's kind of rhymy and catchy. Oh, sure. I mean, like we do that in jujitsu, right? I'm trying to think of well, what do we now. do that? How, what, what's an example of that jujitsu? I'm trying to think of something. I mean, like, cause I think there's an absence of that in jujitsu. Is it? Okay. So there's an absence of that in jujitsu. In my opinion. 
mean, yeah, I guess that there's. I'm just I'm I'm leaning back to something as simple as, for example, use the wrestling example, where. You know the the week and a half or two weeks or it was that I wrestled in high school. And there's nothing that will ever get heel toe knee follow out of my head in learning how to do a proper drop step, right? Bingo, right? Like, and it's it's. And how long were you doing uh, that? How long were you doing that? Two weeks, you said. Two weeks, two three weeks, I think. At, at the That's most. what I'm saying. I don't even remember to be honest. Like, it was it was such a short amount of time. Like, and I still remember heel toe knee follow, and I because of that I can do a drop step properly. Mm-hmm. So what are we yeah, maybe we're just missing these little mantras that that like the essence of each technique. Right? Like T-Rex arms, you hear that, that, that a lot in wrestling, right? Well, you, yeah. you hear T-Rex arms, um you hear I don't box enough. But hmm all right, so our our homework, Noah. We need to start coming up with like little, little. We're gonna mnemonics. be the catchphrase guys. Yeah, <laughs> the catchphrase guys. You know, I when think they're I, sitting too far back in the guard. It's like how do you how do you how do you make something rhyme? It's like <laughs> when they're sitting too far in their rump, go for the bump. Yeah, or just something, <laughs> or. <laughs> I mean, I say. I say balls to belly a lot for attacking clothes guard because I'm tired of okay, people. Okay, so I've told people. Okay, so I'll show you how this does not work. I've told people in clothes guard, hey, bring your knees to your chest. Instead of pulling me down with your arms, that's small muscle against big muscle. Use big muscle against big muscle. Bring your knees to your chest. And you know what they do? They open their legs. They open their legs. <laughs> yeah, I can, I, they open their legs, don't they? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's not what people think of that. You know, when you, when you say that, that's not what they think of. What we're trying to get them to do is not what they think of. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a fault of ours, right? We, we got to figure out that language that, you know, you know what I think people do is, and just where I'm using close guard as an example, because you just mentioned it. We talk so much about the ankles, crossing your ankles. What we should really be telling them is squeeze their hips with your thighs. Right? Yeah. Because people at that, when you're saying cross your ankles, they're focused on the lower leg, the weakest part of your legs and your knees and whatnot and pulling with your, you're not pulling with anything. When they should well, be. I think once you tell people like now we're going to go live, then they immediately start squeezing with, for dear life. They they recruit every muscle yeah. in their body. To- <laughs> yeah, that's true too. <laughs> and they tire themselves out after thirty seconds. Um, but do you think? Okay, so I, I'm going to ask you because you're you, you're more experienced with close guard. Are are close guard players actually scissoring their legs forward to create? the inward pressure or are they actually pinching with their inner thighs? I am planking my body. I'm, I'm bridging. Okay. So you are, you're using more of your quads. Yes. And and my, and my glutes. Yeah. My ankles are not like, I'm not actively trying to twist my ankles more like, like the, the fucking, Thing you use on you're a, almost a bread. trying to bring your knees together you're not opening your knees apart exactly 
Yeah. Which this is a movement that I think is coming up more and more that I'm seeing that we don't, I, I don't feel like, well, again, from in my journey, wasn't emphasized nearly as much as I am realizing it needs to be, you know. What's that? Which is. Closed garden? <laughs> no, no. Beyond that, just that, that motion. It's like if you think about the Uma Pallada, the intermediate step for finishing the Uma Pallada is. Pulling your knees to your chest. Right, like pulling your no. It's the opposite. What I'm saying is, you scissor your your legs forward, and I'm essentially I'm essentially doing a quad extension with my feet crossed. But it's a quad extension. I'm not pinching my my legs together. So it's it's all about and it's same with single leg X. Single leg X is not I pinch my legs together. It's I scissor my legs yes. to create the tension. So how do you keep something between your legs? You don't keep something between your legs by using your groin muscles, which are very weak, yeah, yeah, to your, pinch your, adductors, your inner thigh. You're using your hips. You're using your, your quads, your hips, your glutes, and you're, you're creating tension just by just crossing your legs and, and extending legs just across each other. You know, And now there's tension that you can hold a lot more relaxed using bigger muscles. So that's, that's interesting that you say that because like, for example, what do we teach somebody to do to, um, tighten a triangle? What, what is, what do people always scream out? Well, what people scream out is cut the angle. I also hear a lot like squeeze your knees. Yeah. But, to your point, um, Ryan Hall brings up, he's like, if you, what you should be telling them is do a leg press with the leg that's over the ankle and do a leg curl with the leg that's under the ankle. Bingo. Right? Because at that point, you're, you're, you're using your entire hip and your entire, your spinal erectors, your entire posterior chain for that matter to push down on the instep of the leg that is doing the trapping, right? And as you are curling the leg, which is your, you're using your hamstring and not your adductors to your point, those are your two huge strong muscles that are going to tighten up a triangle a lot more. Um, There's also um, a really cool um, triangle variant that I actually saw taught by your favorite, Rafael Lovato Jr. Uh, how many, how Brother. many did he? Um, no, but it was, it was cool. And it was, it was simple. It's like, he, he, he's like, you don't even need to lock a triangle. If you get the diamond on somebody, mm -hmm. just make sure your, the leg that would be the chopping leg is on bottom. And the other leg is, is over that ankle. And then, he says, just squeeze your, squeeze your legs together, squeeze your thighs together and pull the head. And what we're saying is if you do that whole curl and leg press, so a better way to create that squeeze, all you're doing is a head and arm choke yeah. with your legs and you pull on the head to finish it. And it's a great way to finish. In fact, to me, it's a better way to finish a front triangle when you're looking straight at the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus if you do cut the angle, then yeah, you want to go to a more traditional triangle because now you can actually, that, that triangle lock makes sense. But otherwise, 
swoosh his shoulder right into his into his into the side of his neck yeah. and make it feel like an arm triangle. And that works. And it works great. Now I've done that I did that with Victor. I've shown that to Mike. Like I tried on Victor and Victor's good about giving me a realistic look about like, yeah, this sucks, but I wouldn't tap, you know, mm-hmm. or no, no, I'm gonna go to sleep. And I showed that to Mike with his long legs and, and I you know and he's been hitting triangles and I'm like, this could help you, bro. You don't even <laughs> need to like rotate. If you can just get him in a diamond, just like you got long enough arms you can reach their head, you know? Hmm. So it's actually going against what you and I are talking about, <laughs> about using your stronger, bigger muscles. No, I, w- what I said is if is is you can you can what what I just said is you can use the Ryan Hall method to do this. He says pinch, but in reality, when he says pinch, what I'm saying is anytime you say pinch with your legs, you can re- you can do a better version of pinching by not recruiting your your groin muscles to do this, but instead doing that, cross your legs and, and do that leg press hamstring curl idea to create the same amount of, of pressure between your legs. It's like, if I want to break a watermelon, I wouldn't break the watermelon by putting it between my thighs and squeezing inward. I would put it between my thighs and I would do the, the press outward. Right. And really, in doing so, drive my kneecaps together using my quad. I'm doing it right now. I'm just driving my quads into one another, and I'm using my quad muscles. There's no groin or interior thigh being used here. That's how you create the pressure between your legs. It's all consistent, bro. Yeah. We're, we're, these, these under- we're solving jujitsu right now. As always, we are solving jujitsu. So we need to say, crush the watermelon. Exactly. That's what we need. That's the mnemonic. Crush the watermelon, guys. All right. So, what's the, what's our mnemonic for? Have an armbar. I mean, the biggest thing with the armbar. There, there are two things. There's what's going on with your lower body. What's going on with the upper body? And what's going on with their upper arm? Yeah, so to me, the main thing is like you need to have that upper arm, that tricep glued to your chest or glued to your torso. And then thumbs always pointing up. Like that's, I guess, that's good for beginners is thumb up. Although there are exceptions, like, you know, you're really breaking in the direction. Like you're just pulling in the direction of the pinky, is what you're Yeah, you know. I don't know, man. No one's done it before. We, we need time to do this. It'll take some time, right? Like we need to, we we need to distill the essence of each tech. Oh, so that's the thing too, right? Like there's the idea, not to bite off of uh, BJJ fanatics, but if you look at go further faster, right? Those are mm-hmm. positional systems, and if you look at enter the systems. Those are all submission systems, right? So we mm-hmm. need to look at the core principles of positions and the core principles of submissions to distill what makes each submission or position that. I mean, are we saying that that what we're talking about is we need to distill static positions and submissions 
And then the next step up from that is systems and systems involve movement. And then like, is, are we saying, are we basically talking about stuff that's independent of another person in a way? Yeah. I mean, well, not necessarily though, because if, okay, so it's not independent of another person because I mean, it all really goes back to the damn mind map things, right? Or roadmaps. Yeah. But I'm just thinking like, I feel like what we're talking about comes even before systems. Like if I just tell people the principle of inside position, when it comes to being on bottom, that, that is just statically important. And then the system is how can I use dynamic movement from bottom to create Kazushi and, and space so I can escape either by doing an elbow escape or rolling the guy over or doing any other sort of escape, you know, getting a frame on the bicep somehow like that to me is a system. Yes. But before that, it's don't give up underhooks, keep everything tight. Oh my God. What you know what we're doing is this is this is pre right? Oh Jesus. It's Fuck literally you, it literally is preet. <laughs> right? Like how do I passing somebody's guard? What do I can't assume an an unknowledgeable opponent? I have to assume that they're doing everything right. And I have to reverse engineer that. That's that's literally pre. Or in this case, I have to assume bottom person. And and Paul does an excellent job with this regarding positions one, two, and three, right? Uh, and four, rather. From escaping positions one, two, three, and four. And he's got this little system for top and bottom. And at that point, because both are so well refined, it's assuming top person and bottom person knows both of it so well, it becomes a timing game, right? Whoever executes it best. But escaping two, three, and four for us is like worst case scenario where if you followed the principle, you wouldn't even be in those positions. Yeah, but you can't assume that you're just going to fall to your back and be uh, uh, a, uh, you know, like knees chest automatically like that's just not what no i know but that but at least you know that's why it's harder now it was like oh i didn't manage to keep my my elbows in you know so what is the fixed point in which you say so i mean that's the static position you're talking about at what point do we do we sit there and say like for example I'll, i'll use like it's hard to say because being on bottom is such you can be on bottom in so many different you know you can be on bottom knees to your chest but they're doing this you can be on bottom one knee up one knee down like kind of the beginning of a shrimp when you think of that that, that way and, but but like what is the static position from which you work and for the most part if you look at it right all good postured safe static positions are basically a wrestler stance right even a boxer even a boxer right yeah mike tyson hunchback stance chin down elbows in right Mm because he's protecting inside position so what we just need to do is teach the hunchback stance everywhere 
and let people just go. That's we we've got it, man. That's the that's a white belt curriculum. Hunchback guys, jujitsu is hunchback. Hunchback man, it's it's or, or as Gordon called a concave back position. Right? There's a difference between hunchback. The the one thing about hunchback though is shoulder shrug. You're not tucking your chin too much. Like I I feel like problems arise when I tuck my if I tuck my chin too much, I get guillotined. If you like tuck your chin too much, you get guillotined. Yes. Explain. I, I'm classic example. I come up. People that dive in, I, I do. I used to do it all the time. I dive in for an underhook from half guard, and my head is down on my chin. It's easy for them. Oh, it exposes the back of your neck. Yeah, to get their armpit over it. Hmm. It's like okay. And if you're, it's like, and if I'm, if I'm in butterfly guard, the more I bring my head forward, the more easy it is for them to attack, like a snap down, a rolling guillotine, or a snap yeah. down. If my head's up, so keeping your head in a line, and also if I'm in deep half, the more my head is in alignment with my spine, the better the sweep's going to be if I drop them on their hip. Whereas if I'm looking down and scrunched, there's more likely that my head is going to end up on the wrong side and not in an over under position, and they can actually attack triangles and attack the back mm. because I'm not on them. So I don't think. I I think the hunchback stance is not uh, not ideal for all situations. Um but I think as long as you don't overemphasize the tucking of the chin part and it's more about bringing I don't think your, it's tucking the chin that's up. the problem. It's the shrugging of the shoulders. The shrugging of the shoulders. Shrugging of your shoulders is fine. That's what I'm saying like shrugging of the shoulders when I think hunchback I don't think God, I feel so bad saying this now. Like, apologies ahead of time to anybody out there who's a hunchback. Um, it's the 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 raised traps more protecting mm-hmm. your neck than it is chin down. Correct. That's that's what I would would call more of a hunchback stance, right? Because your chin can still be exposed, but the idea of hunchback stance, to me at least, especially in in um, my, using Muay Thai as a frame of reference is to, to you want to shorten the lever, right? Your head being the, excuse me, your forehead yeah. being the end of the lever. And the same for Jiu-Jitsu, right? That's the, the shorter the lever, the harder it is for them to, to extend it, right? Well, yeah. So. And I think another discipline we need to look at more and more as a reference point for Jiu-Jitsu is powerlifting. Because powerlifters have optimized leverages Yes. And alignment and posture, because if they don't, they can't well, they, they, move they a maximal amount of, yeah. they can't generate a maximal amount of force and, or they get hurt too. You know, there's an injury thing. So when it comes to deadlifting, when it comes to jerk, you know, cleaning jerks and, you know, hang cleans and, and presses but and all that stuff. that's all linear resistance too, right? Jiu-jitsu... But alignment is what's important that you're learning from them. If we're talking about stru- but structures that can withstand pressure, powerlifting can help you. Yes, you know, agreed. And you know, I've just I, I found myself just um, the last few days I've rolled with with you know Brian McKenzie, 
Julia, like not just 200 pound and above, like 250 and above yeah. guys. Actual you know? heavyweights. Yeah, super heavyweights when it co- or ultra heavyweights. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm playing the Ryan half guard, the Ryan Hall half guard, not a traditional half guard. So I'm supine, one foot between their because they're passing on their knees, right? So, or at least you know Julius will stand up more, but I've got I'm supine. I'm not on one side. Like most half guard is taught with a Z, like you you teach Z guard, right? Yeah, yeah, What's yeah, a good yeah. half guard when you're attacking Z guard? But in that case, <clears throat> I'm on one hip. In this case, I'm on my back, strictly supine. My one knee shield leg is right. Literally, my foot is in their crotch, and my shin is straight up vertical, up up their chest. And then my other foot is is monitoring their shoulder, hmm, that's, and just that's kind of very pressing, like in, in like an up kick kind of thing. You know, you could up kick someone if you wanted to. Do I have you know? this? Modern half guard. Oh, okay. Hmm. Ryan Hall's modern half guard. Now, there's a lot of MMA application here, and he's not dismissing traditional jiu-jitsu half guard but those guys can lean into me all day and it doesn't break whereas if i'm in z guard they can break me down because i cannot because i've broken alignment they're they're strict they're going straight into me and it's and how do you leg press someone you leg press someone you leg press by being straight under them and pushing straight up you don't leg press by turning yourself to one side and then pressing up Right, right, right. You understand? Yeah, like, yeah. Like you don't go to Z guard. You don't see people leg pressing in Z guard unless they're doing maybe like a special glute exercise or some like. But if you're trying to leg press the shit out of the, you know, you're trying to put as many plates on, you're never going to do it that way. You, you, you got to be right behind everything. And I, w- I was thinking guys would be able to shove my knee to one side or the other, but in order to do that, they have to commit so much effort to do that they're actually putting themselves out of balance and alignment. Hmm. So from a defensive structure point of view, it's great. I'm still, you know, how do I make attacks from there? Because I'm not, I'm, I can't come up for underhooks, you know, like I could the other way. So I feel like my attacks are more limited. But in terms of keeping a big guy off me that's put me on my back, it works great. And then I can usually push away and go back to butterfly, hmm. which is what I was doing with the big guy. So in terms of strategy, that was working great, way better than any other half guard I played. So anytime they push me down, Ryan Hall, modern half guard, knee in the middle, straight up in their chest, monitoring with the other foot. And then of course, if they stand up, now they're not putting any weight on me. And now you can do a bunch of other you stuff. Your, you can enter. Your your and and yeah, exactly. I mean that now we're in a different game. Yeah. Hmm, I'll have to take a look at that. That 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 actually interesting that you, I, I I haven't looked at that obviously, but that that would probably lend itself well to my style of grappling. So here's what made me revisit that. I watched who's number one, uh, Kynan versus Hadolfo. That card, okay. And a number of the competitors that played guard played that. So Roberto Jimenez was playing that guard a lot. And I was like, I'll be damned. They're all doing this. And it was keeping people off them. And I was like, and I thought about it. I was like, it makes sense from a defense. Like in terms of not letting your guard get past, it makes sense that I'm going to be 
why would I commit to one side right away? Like if they're straight in front of me, I'm going to put my leg straight in front of them straight up. And now they, they have to go to a side. Yeah. I'm not, you know, and, and I get that some people say, well, the part of half guard is you do feed them the side. The problem is people are good to getting to the, the backside if they want. I, I don't know. It just, it just feels more solid and <laughs> without, with a lot less effort. And then if these guys raise up onto one leg, you can immediately grab their ankle and now you can start entering single leg X, 50-50, leg entanglements, and and do stuff from there. So maybe it's it's a leg entanglement type thing, but I, I, I was surprised at how many people did that. Nobody was doing Z-Guard, traditional Z-Guard as we saw. Is that just because Z... I mean, I, I would gather that that's just what... That's the evolution of the, the, the trends, right? Like people have gotten very good at passing z guard and whatnot so that's why they're probably playing, you know and if people are good at passing z guard that's probably because there's a flaw with z guard in the first place yeah you know how long before you find the flaw in the modern 50 50 mm. uh. <laughs> how long i i would say what two seasons i will say two two like full seasons so i'm gonna say a year and a half <laughs> all right so chris as we wind down because i need to go hit the gym and get some deadlifts yeah in before, and i gotta uh, go watch gym. my little dude while stacy works out because i cannot work out there, there you go but, um recommendations for our audience have you been have you been watching any television series have you been binge watching anything i just in my my day and a half of bedriddenness i watched all of cobra kai season three um, if you love season one and two, then you will most certainly love three. Lots of uh, fun little twists and turns. Um, I, it's funny. Did I was, you say that? Is it the? Isn't the 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 sensei of the bad dojo? Like he has like not aged. Like he looks the same. He's definitely like, like Martin Cove. Um, <laughs> or he has a really good plastic surgeon. <laughs> he's he's basically looked the same since Karate Kid three. Because like between Karate Kid one and three, he aged some. Because there's like I don't know, fifteen years between the two. I don't. I don't have to go actually look. But between Karate Kid three and now, he he doesn't look that much. I mean, he it looks like he hasn't aged that all. You know, and I don't. He know. has access to the Fountain of Youth, man. Evidently. That's what you're gonna find. But like, out if you look at before. Daniel Larusso, he. He looks young, but he's he's definitely like old. Like I, I he looks frail, like an old, you know, even post middle aged man. Um, Johnny Lawrence, I would say, has aged fairly well. I mean, he looks like a middle aged man, but he's it, it's very evident that he's been just taking better care of himself and not allowing decrepitness to set in. Um, but uh. There, there's some fun little twists and turns, a lot of a lot of callbacks. It's, it's obvious that the the Cobra Kai writers are are are, are playing to they're, they're pandering a lot. So there's a lot of callbacks, while while also maintaining a pretty good story moving forward with the the youth. How long are episodes? It's nice. They're man, they're only 27 uh, minutes, which is really nice. So. As you know, my style of watching things is to take something that's 47 minutes like Mandalorian and stretch it over three viewing periods. Um, they, they do a really good job writing, you know, like Robert Kirkman. I don't know if you know who he is, but he 
he's the the writer for The Walking Dead and Invincible, which is actually coming to Amazon Prime, incidentally. They're doing an animated series for it, and it should be good. But Robert Kirkman always lived by the rule of the end of a comic book. Basically, like everything's a cliffhanger, whether it's a panel or a turn of a page, you should always... Um, it should always be a cliffhanger, right? Because you should want the customer or the, the reader rather to turn the page and to read the next panel, et cetera, et cetera. And I found that recently, especially man, like the fucking Marvel shows on Netflix are so decompressed, you know, and they do end on cliffhangers. They do end the on cliffhangers, but each scene, but there is, is a lot of dialogue, oh, a lot of God, there's so much filler. Where if they could just move the story forward a little quicker, I think I would have enjoyed them a lot more. You know, they were all, what, 12, 13 episodes? I think they all could have really stood to be 9 to 10 episodes. You know, like, how many times do we need to revisit things to see it from this person's perspective? You know, like, I, I don't... You don't need to give every character in a story their own showcase episode. You know, it should be and flashback. Yeah, exactly. We we don't need that. Like it's I'm, I I think at some points it's nice. You can you can say a lot more sometimes by saying less. So ironically, that's that's coming from me who I over talk. But um, <laughs> but yeah. Hey, man, I just tell you the last time you're in class, you got complimented from a student. You're a really good teacher. You explain things very well. That's probably my strong suit, though. Like it's not being the one doing the teaching it's the one doing the correcting like i'm a really good like support character right like i'm like the paladin that's like i'm gonna be hanging out in the back you fucking go do your battle and i'll i'll heal you along the way and and smash a couple like orcs along the way like th- that's what i do right um but being like front and center I'm pro- that's probably not my strong suit so but uh, yeah what was that that dude's name john john okay he was mm-hmm. super nice he, uh, yeah, super nice guy. Yeah, really, he's what white belt, white belt, one stripe, two stripes, and one stripe. We went through foundations, and uh, his big goal is he's having a kid, and he wants to lose weight for his child. Nice, a good, a good thing to do. You want to be the dad that will be able to whip all the other dads' asses. That is, that's a mm-hmm. good, it's a good goal. So, so we can take Absolutely. very seriously the my daddy can beat up your daddy situation (laughs) well listen chris that was 60 episodes um amazing yeah i can't believe we've made it we've made it to 60 let's here's to 60 more guys thanks for listening check out our sponsor crown rash guards they sponsor today's episode you can go to their website crownrashguards.com if you use our promo code bruise that's an s at the end like bjj and bruise so if you use just brews, you'll get 20% off an order of a single rash guard. If you order two, you're going to get 20% off anyway. So check them out. You can also check them out on social media, BGGM, uh, not BGM Brews, that's us, that's, yeah. but Crown Rash Guards on Instagram and social media. They make awesome rash guards. It's an awesome story. It's by jiu-jitsu people, for jiu-jitsu people, and um, just check them out. We're on social media, BGGM Brews. On Instagram, on Facebook, and YouTube. choose an email, and YouTube. Yeah, man. Although we don't have the BJJ and Brews handle yet, but we do have a YouTube channel. If you go to our Instagram, you can find the links to all this stuff in our profile. And like I said in the last episode of the episode before, 
We've seen that we have listeners all across the world. If you're listening and you're from anywhere in the world, even if it's Orlando, Florida, where we're based out of, shoot us a message, shoot us a DM, take a picture and tag us, whatever. Let us know you're listening and where you are, and we'll showcase you the next and time. Let us know what you're drinking. And let us know what you're doing. Whether it's alcoholic or not, it all counts. Exactly. So thank you for listening, Chris. Thank you hey, for joining thing. me. I, well, we'll, yes. we'll hit it next time. What's your resolution for the year or goal for the year? But we'll, we'll talk about that next time. Oh, my goodness. The old resolution. Um, dude, I, I don't do the resolution thing, man. Every just, day should be a process of improvement. Every day is improvement. But no, my, my resolution for this year is to improve my understanding of the top game and passing so I'm more decisive when I when I am approached with having to pass someone's card. Hmm. All right. Cool. What about you? Um uh, stand <laughs> to pass more. Okay. That's, that was a, a big you thing. old school knee passer, you hey man. <laughs> Can't get knocked over if you're already on the ground, right? I know. <laughs> well, there's Spider Guard, man. You can get all thrown off with that. That's true. So, but the uh, yeah, they're extending. They're they're putting you on the end of their levers. You might say. Exactly. Um, I just don't, dude. It's just I, I'm trying to find jujitsu that's not dependent on on like finger strength. That's 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 one of my goals. Is 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 I don't want to like I've seen people get I've seen grips violently get ripped out of people's hands, and I wince yeah, whenever I see it. So and it's it just. It's really annoying. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the story for another day. <laughs> anyway, um, Chris, uh, I wish you a speedy recovery. You, Hope to see you on the mat soon, yeah. and I will catch you down the road. Yeah, man.